Now we come to Zephaniah. Zephaniah is also another short book. And it just basically is a three-chapter book. And it is basically a pre-Babylonian prophet as well who ministered to Judah during 640 to 620 BC during the reign of Josiah of Judah. Now remember, Josiah was a king who kind of, um, he basically turned to God. He was a prophet, that, sorry, the king that was prophesied way back with Jeroboam, right at the very beginning of 1 Kings in chapter 13 of 1 Kings. And Jeroboam was an evil king who built the golden calves in Bethel and Dan. And this man of God prophet came and said, a day will come when Josiah the king of the Davidic line will come and destroy your golden calves. And then in 2 Kings, Josiah comes along about a couple hundred years later, and he actually does and fulfills that prophecy. He did not start off as a righteous king. He started just as a pagan king, and he eventually converted to um, Yahweh as he found the law and read it, and he began a conquest to purge and cleanse Judah. And so it's during this time that Zephaniah is ministering to Judah. Judah become corrupt like Israel, so Yahweh will allow them to be destroyed and taken into captivity. So he now has just, so Nahum has promised Israel and Judah that Assyria will be dealt with. But now Zephaniah has come along and saying, eh, but don't think that you're free, Judah, from your own punishment. The purpose of the book of Zephaniah was to foretell the judgment of Judah and the surrounding nations and to promise to restore Israel one day. The book of Zephaniah is structured into two divisions. The first division is the judgment against the nations, chapter 1 through 3, 7. And the last one is chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, and that's the day of Yahweh's blessing. So basically, division is your judgment, and the second division is your restoration. So chapter 1, verse 1. This is the prophetic message that Yahweh gave to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. Zephaniah delivered his message during the reign of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah. I will destroy everything from the face of the earth, says Yahweh. I will destroy people and animals. I will destroy the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. The idolatrous image of these creatures will be destroyed along with evil people. I will remove humanity from the face of the earth, says Yahweh. I will attack Judah and all who live in Jerusalem. I will remove all from this place every trace of Baal worship, as well as the very memory of the pagan priests. I will remove those who worship the stars of the sky from the rooftops and those who swear allegiance to Yahweh while taking oaths in the name of their king and those who turn their backs on Yahweh and do not want Yahweh's help or guidance. Be silent before Yahweh's God, for Yahweh's day of judgment is almost here. The Yahweh has prepared a sacrificial meal. He has richly purified his guests. And on that day, Yahweh's sacrificial meal, I will punish the princes and the kings and the sons and all who wear foreign styles of clothing. So God is now turning on Judah. Now, once again, it's like, yeah, we've heard this language with Israel. We've heard this language with Assyria. Now we have to hear the language of Judah. But remember, God is making it clear that this is going to be applied to everybody. He can't just say, ditto on you, Judah. Because everybody's like, well, he didn't really say this is going to happen to us. 
And not everybody is tuned into the news. Remember, a lot of these guys are preaching at different times. Just because somebody was watching the news three or four months ago when the prophet came along and listened to descriptive language doesn't mean they're still listening to the news now and vice versa. Just be thankful that God doesn't repeat the same story as much as the news in America does. You th- Remember, we're like, oh my gosh, the prophets are so repetitive, God. No, 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 no. The prophets have nothing on Fox and CNN. Okay, so the reality is, yes, it's repetitive, but remember, we only have 12 books, unlike 24-7 coverage of O.J. Simpson. Remember that? So it was like nothing has changed. The glove, yes, we know. Here's the thing. This is what he's preaching. But he's also making it clear that he's dealing with all of them because remember, Israel often thought God won't do this to us because we're the chosen people of God and we have the law. But Judah thought that even more because they're like, we have the temple of God and the glory of God dwells here and we have the priesthood. So there's no way this could happen to us in any kind of a way. And so God has to make it graphically clear that you're not an exception because if anybody thought they were above the law, so to speak, if anybody thought they were exempt, it was definitely the people of Judah and specifically Jerusalem. And that's why he also mentions in these first eight verses that he was going to deal with their temple because the temple had become idolatrous. Remember Manasseh, the king who came before Josiah, had done something that no other king had done. He had filled the temple with idols and pagan gods. And he went in and he sacrificed to those gods and he, even, he and other people slept with temple prostitutes in the temple of God. And much of that has been left over in Josiah's day. And we don't know what part of Zephaniah's message is being spoken at what part of Josiah's kingship. So this could be before Josiah's cleansed the temple. And even though Josiah cleansed the temple, it was all undone with his son, who brought all those idols back into the temple again. So God is making it clear that, yes, you think you're above the law. Yes, you think you're not going to be punished. Yes, you have the temple. But look at what you've done to the temple. You've desecrated. And he begins to describe Judah's destruction like the flood. He's using flood language here as he describes it. In verse 9, On that day I will punish all who leap over the threshold, who fill the house of their master with wealth taken by the violence of deceit. Now, we don't know exactly what this phrase, they leap over the threshold, means. But the only other time that we've seen this phrase is in 1 Samuel 5.5. And that is basically, remember, that's when um, the Philistines came and attacked Israel. And they captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it and they put it in the Dagon Temple. And they celebrated their victory over the Yahweh. And then Yahweh got his just deserts on them, so to speak, by making the Dagon statue fall down and destroying it. And then he brought a plague through the cities. And then he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel to show Israel who was really in charge in the Philistines. But when the statue fell down of Dagon, they basically, it fell on the threshold, that, that doorway. And they refused to step on that threshold to that point from that day on for some sacred thing. Now, even then, we don't know exactly, okay, why did that become holy and why could they not touch on it? We don't know. But we know there's some kind of a pagan, um, superstitious, sacred ground kind of an idea there. And so it's definitely attached to paganism. And it could be over time, Israel adopted that paganism 
of worshiping Dagon, and they have applied that to their own temples. And God is basically saying, I'm going to punish all of you who have imported pagan rituals and practices from the Philistines into your own country. And that's just one of them. So we don't know exactly what it means, but we do know it's connected to paganism. On that day, verse 10 says, Yahweh, a loud cry will go up from the fish gate. That was one of the gates that went into the city of Jerusalem. Wailing from the city's newer district and loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district, for all the merchants will disappear and those who count money will be removed. At that time, I will search through Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the people who are entrenched in their sin. Those who think to themselves, Yahweh neither rewards nor punishes. Their wealth will never be stolen and the house is ruined. Their wealth will be stolen and their house is ruined and they will not live in the houses they have built, nor will they drink the wine from the vineyards that they have planted. What God is saying is I will punish all those who have entrenched themselves in sin. That's key. Remember, God is not just talking about how he's punishing people because they're bad people or because they've committed sins. Remember, if God dealt with every sinner the way that he deals with Israel, Judah, and Assyria, there would be nobody on earth. So he's not just punishing sin. He's punishing those who are entrenched in their sin. They have dug themselves so deep, and they have no desire to crawl out of that hole And when prophets come and call them to repentance and rebuke them, they don't care. They don't care. This is evil, blatant idolatry. This is evil, blatant injustice. And they have entrenched themselves and they have no desire to turn back to God. When we get to Jeremiah, the people over and over and over are going to respond back to Jeremiah. We don't care. We don't even agree with your definition of right and wrong. We don't agree with Yahweh's definition. We don't think we're doing anything wrong. In fact, you're a traitor to our country for being anti-Judaite, for talking about us being destroyed one day. They had actually made what they were doing patriotic. Patriotic. Now, once again, remember, as we describe these books, remember, America is not unique in this. We can see America in a lot of ways. And I'm not a prophet saying that America is going to be destroyed and devastated in the next couple of years and all that kind of stuff. But I will say as we look throughout human history, America will fall one day, period. And it will fall by the hand of God because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and eventually all nations become entrenched and all nations celebrate their wickedness and all nations make their wickedness patriotic. And when we hit that point where we get so entrenched that very few people really actually truly repent, then that's when God says, I have waited long enough. Now, that's where I'm not a prophet. I can look at the typology and the pattern and the Bible, the prophets and Daniel, and say it will come. As a father of three girls, I pray that it will not come. And I, well, I pray it never comes because I care about my great-grandchildren too and my great-great-grandchildren, but I don't want it to come. And as someone who's not a prophet, I don't know when it's going to come. I know it will come. I don't want it to come, but I don't know when. And I think that's the tension. I don't, we don't want to become arrogant and say, oh, I know when it's going to come, because God has not revealed that. But we also don't want to become blinded and say, oh, it can never happen. America's too great and been around for too long. It can never happen. And that's the tension that we, we deal with as we look at our own nation. 
But at the same time, just like Abraham was called to be a blessing to the nations, we are called by God to not only anticipate and prepare for the coming judgment on America, but we are to do everything we can to expand the Garden of America and bring America to revival and repentance and to delay it and to make it not come. And that's the other tension we live in. And, and to go one extreme or the other, those two tensions is to become calloused or ignorant and, and just unbiblical. unbiblical. And so that's the tension that we live with. We know it will come one day, but we don't know when on a knowledge level. But we are to anticipate and prepare for the day that it comes practically speaking in our lives. But we are to do everything we can as expand the garden to prevent it by bringing revivals and bringing people and changing America and trying to make the kingdom of God in America just as much as any other country. And so whether you're in another country and you're in China or Africa or whatever, you're to do the same thing in your country. And all that applies to whatever country that you live in. And so this is what God is saying. You are entrenched, and this is why judgment's coming. And unless you repent, you will not escape. Verse 14, the great day of judgment. Yahweh's great day of judgment is almost here. It is approaching very rapidly. There will be bitter sound on Yahweh's day of judgment. At that time, warriors will cry out in battle, and the day will be a day of God's anger, a day of distress and hardship, a day of devastation and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and dark skies, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cries. Judgment will fall on the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on the people, and they will stumble like blind men. For they have sinned against Yahweh. Their blood will be poured out like dirt. Their flesh will be scattered like manure. Neither their silver nor their gold will be about be able to deliver them. In the day of Yahweh's angry judgment, the whole earth will be consumed by his fiery wrath. Indeed, he will bring terrifying destruction on all who live on the earth. A couple of things that God is saying here. First, remember... They think the day of Yahweh is going to be great. The day of Yahweh is when God comes and punishes the enemies. And they've just got done celebrating a serious destruction. Yay! The news report on that is going to be so great when it comes. And we want to relish in that. But God is reminding you a day of darkness is going to come for you as well. A day of gloom is going to come for you as well. You will be overtaken. But he also reminds them everything that you have trusted in will not save you. Everything that has saved you in the past will not save you. We are facing a new thing in the world that our generation has never faced before. And that is, we have never, ever lived with a complete unknown of the future. Largely speaking, especially in America, life pretty much goes on the same day after day. Maybe in our own personal lives, devastating things have happened that have altered the course of your future and the way that you look at things and that kind of stuff. And and I don't want to undermine that. But culturally speaking, as an entire nation, we never, as a world, and especially America, because we have a lot to trust in and a lot of things that can give us more comfort than a lot of other nations, have ever faced an uncertain future. And whether it's the disease that is moving through our country or the economic collapse is potentially going to come as a result of what we've done with the sheltering in place, we are facing an unknown future. 
there really is no knowns. And we know when we go into this summer and the next year and the year after that, we will face and live in America that we have never experienced. And if we recover from this economically, or if there's some kind of spiritual revival that happens in America, that is 100% the miracle of God. I can tell you that right now. If we recover in any kind of way, spiritually or economically, that is God's miracle. But we don't know. Even that's unknown. And and we we have doctors that are like, so that, that I, forgive me, I can never pronounce his last name right, but that Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci is like the head of this thing. And his wife is making him sleep at least four hours a night because he's just working day and night. And yet the br- most brilliant minds, they're not coming up with anything. Okay, they're not coming up with things. And our most brilliant governmental leaders don't know how to fix the restaurant industries and people losing our jobs. And our solutions just throw tons of tax benefit money at people that my children are going to end up paying off. Now, granted, the idea of getting a couple thousand dollars in the mail is like, woo But also knowing that I'm basically just taking it out of my own wallet is also like, oh. But that's our solution. It's like we're going to destroy our economy, so let's just throw tons of money at our economy that comes from our economy. We don't really know what to do, and we don't know how to fix our country in any kind of a way. And that's what God is saying. You can't trust, okay? The stock market's collapsing. People, I've met people in all kinds of industries financially. They're just like, they're losing hope. People are already beginning to commit suicide because of this. And the reality is everything we trust in as Americans, we're beginning to realize for the first time that can disappear so quickly. And that that that's more scary than I think, don't judge me, than the disease itself. And and but it also can be so much the tool of God to bring us to repentance and to get, allow us to destroy our idols and walk away from them. And so as scared as I am as a father of three girls of that economic future, I'm also very hopeful of a God that can is destroying idols right now. And though my life will not be comfortable in the future potentially, which is not encouraging. It could also bring incredible spiritual revival to America, which is incredibly celebratory. And, and so that's what we need to remember that yes, with every gain, there's a loss. But which gain do you really want? Which gain do you really want? And so this is what God is doing. He's exposing their idols, fail them. Money, health, economic stability, their governments. But what it's supposed to do is bring the repentance, bring the repentance and re-embrace the true God, re-embrace the true God. Now remember, as much as I am so appreciative that I live in America today more than any other time period in any other country in all of human history, I also know Yahweh's way better than any physical or economic comfort we can ever experience. And we can't, we've got to choose which one we want. And, and I'm speaking to myself on that one, too. I know that intellectually, and I know that in my relationship with God. Um, but when that day comes, that's where I'm really going to be in prayer. And um, that's where we need God. And that's where idols get exposed. And that's what, we, what we've been trusting and gets exposed.
Chapter 2, verse 1. Bunch yourself together like straw, you undesirable nation, before God's decree becomes reality, and the day of opportunity disappears like a windblown chaff, before Yahweh's raging anger overtakes you, before the day of Yahweh's angry judgment overtakes you. Sorry. Seek Yahweh's favor, all you who humble humble people of the land, who have obeyed his commands. Strive to do what is right. Strive to be humble. Maybe you will be protected on that day of Yahweh's angry judgment. And remember, no matter how harsh the judgment is, and I've said this multiple times, and I'm going to keep saying it over and over again because we need to remember it. No matter how harsh his judgment is, he's constantly saying, but repent. Humble yourself and repent, and this will all change. I don't have to punish you. And, and in Second Chronicles, he basically says, if my people humble themselves and get on their knees and cry out to me, then I'll restore your nation. And yes, that was specifically a promise made to Israel and his people. But remember, that promise is also rooted in the character of God and the way that he deals with all people throughout all of time. And so, yes, you can't just willy-nilly apply the promises of God to you as Americans that they were made to Israel, but you can if they're rooted in the character of God that is demonstrated over and over again to multiple different people groups throughout time. And if we truly are the new Israel in Christ, then, yes, he's promising. If you humble yourself, I'll restore you. I'm not promising I'm not saying, nor is God saying, he's promising a restoration in the way that we want it to be economically and comfort-wise, but he is promising a restore your nation as in it will not be completely ruined. He does not promise us that we will have this incredible utopia kind of experience as a nation of Americans or any other country. But he is promising us that our nation will not come to a ruin. And we will not be starving or physically dying and all that kind of stuff. And he will take care of us. And then ultimately one day, he promises that he will create that new garden when he brings his Davidic king and his cosmic mountain on earth, which was talked about in the prophets, inaugurated in the first coming of Christ, and completed in the second coming of Christ. So there is that promise that that will come one day, in its totality. Chapter 2, verse 4. Now he's going to talk about the four compasses of the four directions of the compass and the nations that are there, and he's going to bring pronounce judgment on them. Indeed, Gaza, remember, is the Philistine territory, and Ashkelon is also in the Philistine territory, which is on the west coast of, well, the, the west side of Israel, on the Mediterranean, will become a heap of ruins. Invaders will drive away the people of Ashdod, another city in Philistine, and Ekron, another city. Those who live in the sea, the people who came from Crete, are as good as dead. Yahweh has decreed your downfall. Canaan land of the Philistines. I will destroy everyone who lives there. The seacoast will be used as a pasture, lands by the shepherds, and all as pens for their flocks. Those who are left from the kingdom of Judah will take possession of it. By the sea they will graze, and the houses of Ashkelon they will die, lie down in the evening. For Yahweh their God will intervene for them and will restore their prosperity. But then he promises restoration to the Philistines one day, which is really interesting because he's promising that the Philistines will be included in this new kingdom of God one day. 
Verse 8, now he turns to Moab. Moab was southeast of Israel on the Dead Sea. I have heard Moab's taunts and the Ammonites' insults. Ammonites were on the western, eastern side of Israel across from Jericho and the Jordan River. They have taunted my people and verbally harassed those living in Judah. Therefore, surely as I live, says Yahweh, who commands armies, the God of Israel, be certain that Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, and they will be overrun by weeds filled with salt pits and permanently desolate. Those of my people who are left will plunder their belongings. Those who are left in Judah will take possession of the land. This is how they will be repaid for their arrogance, for they taunted and verbally harassed the people of Yahweh who commands armies. And Yahweh will terrify them, for he will weaken all their gods of the earth, and the distant nations will worship Yahweh in their own lands. So he says, because of the way that you treated my people and taunted them and even persecuted them when they were being carried off into exile, I will take you down, and I will make you like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 12, you Ethiopians, Ethiopians were south of Egypt, will also die by my sword. Yahweh will attack the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a heap of ruins. It will be barren as the desert. Now, the reason he's mentioned Ethiopia, south of Egypt, along with Assyria, way up in Mesopotamia, the Tigris-Euphrates River, is because Ethiopia became a part of Egypt, and Egypt made an alliance with Assyria, and they're going to become a powerhouse that will dominate the world at the very end of the Assyrian Empire's life. And it will be the Babylonians who will come and destroy Assyria, and then eventually Egypt. And when that happens, then the Babylonian power empire is established. So there was a connection, even though they were geographically separated by many, many hundreds of miles. Verse 14, flocks and herds will lie down in the midst of it. And as well as every kind of wild animal, owls will sleep in the tops of its supports and pillars, and they will hoot through the winds, windows. Rubble will cover the threshold. Even the cedar work will be exposed, the elements. This is how the once proud city will end up. The city that was so secure, she thought to herself, I am unique. No one can compare to me. What a heap of ruins she has become, a place where wild animals live. Everyone who passes by her taunts her and shakes his fists. You're going to become a heap of ruins so devastated that wild animals and nature are going to overtake your city. You're going to be reoccupied by nature. Verse 3. Now he turns on Jerusalem. The filthy stained city, as good as dead, or the ruined city, is filled with oppressors. It's finished. She is disobedient. She refuses correction. She does not trust Yahweh. She does not seek the advice of her God. Her princes are as fierce as roaring lions. Her rulers are as hungry as wolves in the desert who completely devoured their prey by morning. Her prophets are proud. They are deceitful men. Her priests defile what is holy. They break God's laws. They're, the just Yahweh resides within her. He commits no unjust act. Every morning he reveals his justice. At dawn he appears without fail. Yet the unjust know no shame. You have become filthy. You have become filthy with your sins. You were supposed to be my righteous, pure people. Now notice he condemns them. Your leaders, your priests, and your prophets are all 
filthy. And I, as a just and righteous God, live within you and among you. And yet, despite that, you still act in filthy ways, you still act in unjust ways, and you refuse to turn to me. I think that's the epitome of how sinful they are. That Shekinah glory of God was burning on top and in the temple 24-7, and yet with that physically before them, and with the law before them, and the prophets coming and preaching to them, they didn't change the way they operated. They didn't change the way they act. And so this is what God is condemning them for. I live among you, and you still act like filthy people. You still act like filthy people. Chapter 3, verse 6. I destroyed the nations. Their walled cities are in ruin. I turned their streets into ruins. No one passes through them. Their cities are desolate. No one lives there. I thought, certainly you'll respect me. Now you will accept correction. If she had done so, her home would not be destroyed by all the punishments I had threatened. But they eagerly sinned in everything they did. Therefore, you must wait patiently for me, says Yahweh. For the day when I attack and take plunder, I have decided to gather nations together and assemble kingdoms so I can pour out my fury on them, all my raging anger, for the whole earth will be consumed by my fierce anger. Look, I let you watch evil nations around you be destroyed one after another. I let you watch, as he will say in the book of Jeremiah, your sister, Israel, get destroyed before you. And I thought, certainly, as you watch your older sibling get punished, you would change. Okay, I've heard people say, like, why are you different than your older brothers and sisters? Because I watched them get punished all the time, and I just decided I wasn't going to do what they did. Okay, I thought that would work. And yet you watched this happen, and you didn't change. And all you had to do was humble yourself and come to me, and this wouldn't have happened to you. Verse 9, Know for sure that I will then enable the nations to give me acceptable praises. All of them will invoke invoke Yahweh's name when they pray, and they will worship him in unison. So now he goes into the hope, the restoration, and he says, no, even though you, my chosen people, are not following me right now, no one day all the nations will be brought to me. What you people who have the law cannot do, all the nations who do not have the law will one day do. They will come to me, and they will be brought in, and they will pray to me, and they will acknowledge my name, and they will worship me in unison. Verse 10, from beyond the river of Ethiopia, those who pray to me will bring me tribute. And that day you will not be ashamed of all your rebelliousness against me. For then I will remove from your midst those who proudly boast, and you will never again be arrogant on my holy hill. That's the cosmic mountain. A day will come when you will no longer be filled with sin and you will no longer have the proudful, arrogant people living among you. Verse 12, I will leave you in the midst of a humble and meek group of people and they will find safety in Yahweh's presence. The Israelites who remain will now not act deceitfully. They will not lie and deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouth. Indeed, they will graze peacefully like sheep and lie down. No one will terrify them. Shout for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout out, Israel. Be happy and boast with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Yahweh has removed the judgment against you. 
He has turned back your enemy, Israel's king. Yahweh is in your midst. You no longer need to fear disaster. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Don't be afraid, Zion. Your hands must not be paralyzed from panic. And Yahweh, your God, is in your midst. He is a warrior who can deliver. He takes great delight in you. He renews you by his love. He shouts for joy over you. As for those who grieve because they cannot attend the festivals, I took them away from you. They became tribute and were a source of shame to you. Look at that time. I will deal with those who mistreated you. I will rescue the lame sheep and gather together the scattered sheep. I will take away their humiliation and make the whole earth admire and respect them. At that time, I will lead you. At that time, I gather you together. Be sure of this. I will make all the nations of the earth respect and admire you. When you see me restore you, says Yahweh. Once again, he promises to bring all the nations to him, but he also promises to restore them to him, which means both the nations and them will be restored and brought together on the holy mountain, the cosmic mountain, and they will worship God, and they will no longer have the prideful, the evil, wicked people living among them anymore to lead them in ruin, and they will be able to worship God peacefully. And most of the prophets have this message there. Most of the prophets have this message there. So that is Zephaniah. 